Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 170 of the Power Company podcast brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I have been mostly quiet over here, and that's entirely on purpose. Um, At the end, I guess I shouldn't say the end, but uh, during the COVID lockdowns, I felt like things were getting a little too noisy. Everyone was glued to the internet. And I didn't want to contribute to that noise. And then this uprising really took hold. And I put my efforts toward rallying people on social media and and taking a look internally, talking to the companies, the events, the organizations that I, as a climber and as a coach and with Power Company, uh, am affiliated with and making sure I understood the stance of everyone and removing any relationships that didn't hold the same values that we hold. And I realized that by not saying anything on the podcast, some of the people who listen and follow don't know my stance because not all of you do follow on Instagram or Facebook. And and I just want to make it clear that we at Power Company, the, the whole group of us are 100% anti-racist and If you don't fit into that category, frankly, we just don't want your business. Um, The systems that are in place to promote oppression are not something that we're okay with. And the stance that we take from here on out needs to be a much stronger stance than we've taken in the past. And this is something I'm just learning Today's episode is a repost of a conversation that I had in July 2018 and released shortly thereafter with Bethany, Seisha, and Montserrat from Brown Girls Climb. And I had just met these three women at this point, and I've come to understand how powerful they are through the fact that they've all in some way educated me since. And I've never reposted an episode before, and I do this now because this is my starting point going forward. And we do this in life. We do this in training for climbing. You don't start where you'd like to be. You start where you are, and you build from there. And maybe this episode can be your starting point as well. From here, the podcast is going to see some changes. We're still going to be talking about climbing, having the same interviews we have. The board meetings will continue, of course. I've been talking with my friend Mario Stanley, who runs a podcast called Sins and Suffers. And Mario is going to be a regular voice on the podcast, both as guest and as host. We're going to make sure that Black stories are told, black voices are heard. And in many of those conversations, I'm out of my depth. And Mario is a really an excellent teacher, and I'm looking forward to 
having his voice, his opinions, his perspective on this podcast. Mario has asked that rather than pay him for his time, we donate the money. And that's exactly what we'll be doing. A portion of the proceeds from the Patreon for the Power Company podcast every month will be going toward a business organization, a charity that supports the movement that's happening to bring equity and diversity into climbing and beyond. Um, This month, because of the education these three women have given me, the $700 from the Patreon will be going to Brown Girls Climb. If you are looking for places to donate or ways to help, we've compiled information on our website at powercompanyclimbing.com slash uprising-resources. You can also find that link right there in your show notes. You can find a link to Brown Girls Climb in your show notes as well. So please go check them out and support their mission. I will not see you on the other side of this episode. Instead, I'm going to let these women take it out and I'm going to ask you to consider the conversation, to start your own conversations with your people and consider what changes, no matter how small, that you can make to further this mission. All right, let's get into it. And to have women who look like you teach you, it's just so powerful. Yeah, I mean, this is about climbing, but it is about so much more, more than climbing. <laughs> Como la flor, como la flor. I don't know what the she's saying. Con tanto amor, me diste tú. Se marchitó, me marchó y yo sé perder. Pero, ay, como me duele. Ay, como me duele. I need this at the beginning of every podcast. Gosh, this is amazing. I've been doing a lot of singing and karaoke, so my throat is a little... <laughs> Were you doing karaoke here? Was there karaoke In the car. here? Ah, we have I a portable see. karaoke microphone with a built-in speaker and like flashing lights and special effects. It's pretty cool. In the car? Uh, portable. So yeah. we were doing it in the car because we had six hours to kill. It's a pretty standard tradition that the Brothers of Climbing started, that they do karaoke in New York with their crew. Now we're starting to do it with our crew, do it at the Color of the Crag. Outdoor retailer shows. Yeah, just wherever yeah. we can. I mean, you know, just, it feels good. Oh man, <laughs> this sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, first off, thanks for sitting down and talking to me. You know, I'm... I, I come from a, a diverse area of, you know, the country. There, Cincinnati, the school I went to was pretty diverse, but there's not a ton of it in climbing. 
Um, especially here now that I live in Wyoming, it's not diverse at all. And seeing the diversity of the festival this year is really exciting for me. Um, and, and I'm really glad that you guys are willing to sit down and have this conversation and, and educate me and everyone else who's listening, because I really want to understand how to be better at promoting diversity, um, and just making sure that people are comfortable including myself and everyone else who, who wants to be an ally or wants to just help promote diversity. Um, first, can you introduce yourselves so that we all know whose voice belongs to who and, and just kind of how you came to Brown Girls Climb? Yeah, I can start. So uh, my name is Bethany Lebowitz. Um, I'm the founder of Brown Girls Climb and um, you know, it basically started in Maryland. I went out to the New River Gorge and kind of realized like, oh, I'm the only brown person here, but our gyms are super diverse out there. And what would this crag look like if more people uh, were out here that kind of look like me or maybe look different than me, but had, you know, the, it was a little bit more heterogeneous, I guess. So I was encouraged to start the Instagram and you know, out of that, I got to find all of these wonderful, strong, beautiful ladies that were climbing all around the world, and we've been able to connect and grow together. So. Um, I'm Sasha McGee. I am one of the leaders of Brown Girls Climb in uh, the Colorado area. I live in Denver, and I um, have been climbing for about three years and had not tapped into a um, an organization that promoted anything around diversity and climbing. So I mostly climbed with um, white guys, <laughs> which is um, which is kind of interesting. The the dynamic is, is very different. So um, I actually met uh, Montserrat and started to follow Brown Girls Climb on Instagram and um, got plugged in that way and completely changed my, my view of the climbing community. Um, and has also, um, changed where I want to go as a climber as well um, because I, I feel like I now have a, a community that understands me and understands um, what I need at a crag um, and, and that's just been really wonderful. Cool. Awesome. Um, my name is Montserrat and my pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I am a leader with Brown Girls Climb. Um, I am based out of Boulder, Colorado now, <laughs> just as of last week. And uh, I got involved with Brown Girls Climb when I was working in Estes Park. Um, I work as an outdoor educator and I've been working in the outdoors for uh, ugh, maybe going on six years. I don't know. Can't do math. For like five, six years um, since I was in college. And I um, was really turned off by the climbing community um, when I was in college and didn't feel welcoming. And then I moved to Colorado and I found a really awesome community. And there I just started to feel really inspired to do 
um, more work in the community and to pursue my own adventures. And a lot of it has actually been centered around being able to facilitate experiences for other women and girls in the outdoors. Um, and I do that both through um, my like volunteer work and my like part-time job. Cool. Bethany, can you tell me a little bit about how Brown Girls Climb started and um, kind of if you all want to jump in and just tell me what the, you know, the mission is and what the, what you guys do? Yeah, so I'll start with the mission. So um, our main goal is to promote and increase visibility um, of women of color in rock climbing. So um, we do that a lot of, through a lot of different means. Um, one is really by elevating women who are already in rock climbing. There is a lot of women of color, a lot of people of color that have been in climbing for a while. And so just trying to create opportunities to elevate those voices and share those stories. Because uh, unfortunately, I don't think, well, those stories just haven't been shared within the traditional climbing community. So we're really trying to, to take that challenge on for ourselves. Um, Another way is through meetups, like uh, kind of Stacia was mentioning, we have meetups all over the country and those are expanding as leaders pop up. Um, and those are really for, you know, climbers that have been climbing for a while and people that just want to have a really comfortable space to experience climbing. They may never come back. They may come back. Um, we hope they do. Um, but it's a space that we hope that people feel that they can kind of relax into themselves. If they want to talk about the day or what's going on in the news, they can do that. Uh, and they're really like skill focused. So we, we really try to hone in on what do you want to accomplish today? Maybe that's just getting up your top rope or maybe that's learning like how to place pro. So we try to facilitate uh, that through kind of gut, looking at all the skills that are present in that group for the day and, and going off that. Uh, and then lastly is just creating more opportunities uh, for for other marginalized groups to experience climbing in general. So one of those ways is through Color of the Crag Climbing Festival, which we can kind of talk about later. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we, I mean, a little bit on that is that Mikhail and I from Brothers of Climbing connected right away after I started the Instagram. And since I had never really like had a community to plug into. That was like the first goal. Was, like, let's just meet up. I want to like, I want to <laughs> go to the crag with the crew. They've had this going on for a while and they were able to have outdoor stuff, but I've never experienced, you know, what it's like being with uh, a brown crew outside. Like, what does that feel like? Um, so we organized the climbing festival first. And um, so we were doing that throughout 2017 and then in March of 2017 I think we had our first meetup in Maryland and then shortly after Montserrat um, kind of took um, initiative and, and started the meetups her in, in Chela, Orlando Garcia started meeting up in Denver so yeah, mm. yeah I see I've, I've followed your Instagram for a while and I spend a lot of time solo in the gym and training by myself and then I see your the photos of your meetups and everyone looks like they're having the absolute time of their life and I'm so jealous every time I'm like man I need a crew like this to <laughs> climb with everybody's having so much fun and I'm just in here banging my head against the wall <laughs> so I think it's really cool and I think it's interesting that and I hadn't thought of this that you you don't necessarily have the experience of 
climbing with a, a brown crew when you just start climbing on your own and because there's just not much of it uh, it, or it's not easy to find I guess yeah I mean you know climbing in general like and that's something we just have to recognize in space requires a lot of privilege whether that's time or resources um, to get equipment or to buy a gym pass or to have a car <laughs> transportation to go to the crag or you know the social capital to know like who to to, to ask to show you um, the way I mean there's so many issues that kind of tie into like getting into the space so um, or, or even if you don't know who to ask everyone in the space looks like you so you feel really comfortable asking right yeah that's really important yeah, yeah the you guys hosted a, a clinic yesterday two days ago yesterday. was that yesterday yesterday all yeah. the days blur like together at these festivals <laughs> I, woke up this morning and I was like it's Sunday and they're like no it's Saturday. Yeah, I've been like, doing oh, that all week. Cool, okay. <laughs> yeah, crazy. And Grace yesterday said that it was one of the the most beautiful things she's experienced. Um, tell me about the clinic. How'd it go? And what'd you guys climb on? And where was it? So um, we actually had a mixed group, um, uh, men and, and women, in this clinic yesterday. Um, we were teaching them how to lead outdoors. Um, so we did a mock lead clinic. And I think what was really beautiful about it was um, everyone was extremely receptive to everything that we were teaching them. They were just really eager to learn. Um, we taught them all of the basics of, of leading outside, um, how, to, how to clip, um, how, to, how to use a, um, a quick draw how it should be placed on a wall, um, different belay devices, um, falling, back clipping, Z clipping. So we, we taught them all of these things um, and then allowed them to, at their own pace, um, when, when they felt comfortable, to attempt to, to lead and not lead exactly, but they were mock leading. Um, so it's just pulling up two ropes. Um, right. And I think truly the beauty of it was just the space that was created. I feel like everyone felt really comfortable being themselves. Um, lots of really authentic conversation happened at the crag as they were learning. Um, people felt comfortable talking about their fears, but also their successes. So just a, a really, really beautiful space. Yeah, I, I work, so I work in the outdoors and, um, you know, a lot of the things that end up happening is that um, as women of color working in the outdoor industry, I mean, I think this is just like across the board, right? In this world, when you look at like pay disparities and like leadership percentage, which like you got to look at some, yep. um, but working as a woman in, of color in the outdoors, <clears throat> you in a way have to be twice as good to be recognized to be as equal as your counterparts. Um, you know, when I started working in the outdoors, like people would like when I first started, it was like weird like I didn't really know how to how to explain what it felt like when people my participants would constantly go to my white male counterparts and ask them questions right. ask them for directions mm -hmm. ask them for anything and me just kind of being like oh like I just need to I need to overcompensate like I need to show that I really know what I'm doing and so that that's what it has to be in the outdoors and in, in a way and it doesn't feel good like it doesn't feel like that's where it needs to be but that's what it kind of has to be in order for you to be recognized as being equal to your white male counterparts. Um, and even not just white male counterparts, but like anybody, like I, I work at an organization that serves women and young girls part time. 
And um, I work with most, actually, I'm the only woman of color on staff there at the moment. And I work a lot with um, other white women as my co-instructors or even as my assistant instructors and me being the lead instructor. And um, public, like other climbers, um, participants will constantly go to people um, my other co-instructors and ask them for questions. Um, just assume I don't know, assume that I'm a participant, different right. things like that. Um, and that's just something that it's just has always, that's what it's always been like for me working in the outdoors. And this clinic yesterday, it was not like that at all. Like everyone was asking each other questions. Like people were asking instructors and it just, it felt really validating to, to have people listen to you and not question if you knew what you were doing or if you right. even knew how to climb if you like it's like that that's like a thing we always get you know we go to the gym and it's like oh are you a first time climber even though you've been to the, that gym for like a month and you're like no like you just saw me two days ago <laughs> and, they're, and they're like oh do you need to do a belay test or do you need to do, do a belay clinic or something and you're like no i'm checked off to lead belay and it's like just like having to constantly explain your existence in these spaces yeah and you know i i just experienced that for the first time and it made me really uncomfortable i had a i won't name any names but i had a friend in town um of asian descent and she was yeah yeah <laughs> and she was making a film with a big company they were going to use my gym and the guys running the show called me and asked me the same questions they had already asked her yeah and i was just like what is going on here why you know she's totally qualified to answer these questions why ask me yeah. you know we, we had one of our leaders who is working <clears throat> with a company whose name i will not name because and they're doing things um she's doing a uh a biking and climbing trip mm -hmm. um and they sent her a photographer and the first question the photographer asked her is if she had ever climbed trad and she was like this entire expedition is a right. trad expedition like trad climbing expedition right she was like and we pitched this to you all and then she called them back and she's like i can't like no like i'm not gonna work with this dude and it's like constantly being asked like do you know what you're doing mm -hmm. and i think um if if we're all to be honest, I feel like if the if an entire um, community is constantly questioning whether you are capable of doing the things that you've been doing for years, you start to question yourself yeah, as definitely. well. Um, and I th I think that's a, a huge problem because people who are constantly questioned also start to to look like maybe they don't know what they're doing because sure. if everyone is questioning whether I know how to lead climb. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It gets in your head. Can I lead climb? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you lose the confidence and become a little timid and mm -hmm. that's not a good place to be at all. Yeah, especially if you're already battling that. I will say to like to this point um you know, for for our festival there's um there's probably like I mean I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but a good majority of our climbers were were new climbers, but the mm -hmm. other half, like the other largest group was climbers who have been climbing for five to 10 years. So, you know, that was surprising for me also, but, um, but hopefully that information 
gets translated back to the climbing community that, you know, just because you see someone that looks different from you doesn't mean that they're a new climber. I mean, you, you can obviously look all over the world and see that, but, um, but especially here in the States because we have such a, you know, I don't know, such a history too. But, and also just to have the space here at the, at the festival to have people of color in leadership position, like having more of that. I go to these festivals. I go to these climbing events. We've all been to these type of events. Yeah. And it's, I don't ever see any people of color in leadership positions. And, you know, I think a big part of that is just getting connected. We want to talk to our own friends and only invite our friends, but we have to go beyond that. If we're going to address this problem, we have to get educated and extend um, our hand to other places. Um, and those people are very skilled, very um, capable, and it allows for a really special space where these new climbers were able to like be in a clinic that I don't know if there's ever been a clinic with four women of color, you know, instructors. That's pretty epic actually i'd like to, to know <laughs> whether or not that's ever been. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's pretty awesome and and you know i'm not an outdoor instructor yet um but Montserrat and, and and grace are and like to to be able to see them in action at a climbing festival where they like really deserve to be at like teaching is yeah. was, was awesome in wyoming nonetheless <laughs> yeah yes. maybe yeah. the most republican state left in the country yeah i mean um, i don't know where's where's florida north carolina south carolina? oh yeah <laughs> good point. have you been Sorry, to the south we both grew up in the georgia south, yeah well <laughs> in texas oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> out on whether or not that's I don't, south, I don't I consider it's Texas south. to be in the South. There's like it's, a, it's point of tension. Yeah, it is a point of tension. What about Kentucky? Oh, no. Oh, no. Nope. I knew nope. you were going to bring that up. You were going to go that. Her just, from Kentucky, and we also have I was just curious. I, was, he, I, don't, he, I don't have a horse in the race. I was we'll just talk curious. about mac and cheese later. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, also collard greens. Okay. Question for you. Okay. Okay, mac and cheese. Is it a main dish or a side dish? In the South, it's a main dish for sure. That's not true. No. Really? Okay, okay, you're avoiding, <laughs> you're avoiding the answer. Okay, for, what is me, it for, you? for me, it's a side dish, and I don't even like mac and cheese, except for, except for, I have a friend named Jarvis who makes the best mac and cheese on the planet, and I'm all for that. But that's the only mac and cheese I'll eat. So yeah. for me, it's a side dish. I what is the verdict? I unpack, unpack it, Sasha. Sisha, I've never heard of this like tool before. It's really fun. So it's it's interesting. I read this book and um, I read this book recently, and it was a a black woman that was dating a white guy, and um, and she was coming to terms with um, her identity and and her identity as a person dating um, a white man, and and towards the end of the book, as she's like accepting that, she asked him. She was like, "Hold on." <laughs> Mac and cheese is Our it a main dish? On this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mac and cheese is it a main dish or a side? And he was like, main dish. This is no. <laughs> it's a side for sure. <laughs> Though I do, I think it's more of a side in the South. I think maybe in other areas, it's probably more of a main dish. When I moved to Denver, yeah. truly everyone put bacon in a massive amount of mac and cheese and that yeah. was and that was the it's meal like a main dish but like twice the price and less <laughs> options yeah, yes or lobster mac and cheese is a is a famous oh, yeah. one in denver i can't, I yeah. can't go there for yeah. sure no way yes, yes. <laughs> yeah i'd be in a food coma for sure <laughs> <laughs> 
I love that mac and cheese is what determines whether a relationship's going to work or not. Oh, you want another <laughs> question? Because I've got sure. one for me. I'm, I'm in for okay, questions. Okay, tortillas. Corn or flour? Tortillas? Corn. Okay, good job. We can be friends. Good job. Yeah, good we, job. we just had flour tortillas at my house the other night and I threw a fit. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, it's like a thing. Like, when my partner and I started dating, like, we went out. He's also a white dude. And I was like, nice. so, like, they, the, uh, the waiter asked him, like, oh, do you want corn tortillas or flour tortillas? And he's like, oh, I'll take corn. And I was like, <gasps> Oh my god! I was like, did you just say corn tortillas? But then he wanted lettuce and tomatoes and no, beef okay. and no, and no, it was trouble. He doesn't. He has standards for his Mexican food. Good. It's really yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, you really should. I've taught you him should. well. No shredded lettuce and tomatoes on your tacos. No, That's or cheese or sour cream. No cheese. No cheese. Oh, no. I just can't. Oh my goodness. Onion, cilantro. Yes, Limon. that's it. Those Salsa. are appropriate toppings. I should probably be thrown away listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone down on some toxics. I won't lie. But that's like, it's another category. I, you have to respect that it's a totally it's different, a different category. category. Sure. <laughs> so when you, when you all are out climbing most of the time, are, you, are most of your partners other brown people? Or are you climbing with white people often as well? Just out of curiosity. Um, I think it's it's kind of a mix, honestly. Like, you know, what's been cool about Brown Girls Come is that we are able to, to really organize women all over the country and find a crew, but that's still happening. So, you know, it could be really small. Um, and our meetups are once a month because we still have jobs. We still, you know, nobody's right. a full-time climber. Right. Um, Unless you are. <laughs> yeah. I mean... No, I'm, I'm not. just thinking about people we meet up with. Oh, yeah, I yeah. think everyone has uh, has jobs. So, um, you know, organizing schedules can be really challenging. So, oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm doing it, Justin. Um, so, yeah, when we can meet up, we certainly do. Um, but we climb with a lot of different partners. You know, we're, we're pretty psyched to get climbing and to, to hone our skills. I think more importantly, like we want to learn more about uh, safety and rescue. We want to learn more about trad. We want to learn more about leading, like wherever you're at, people are excited. Um, so any chance we can get, um, but but that that intermediate space of like really honing in your, on your skills and having the opportunity to get that mileage in can be really challenging. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons I love like the type of clinic that we had because like getting that mock leading experience is actually kind of challenging you need three people what if you only have two what if you're only just that one uh one of the men that were joining us yesterday was like you know i go in the gemini boulder which is how i started and he wants to do he's got some pretty big goals but he needs partners to to do that and yeah. you know so i mean it's a it's a problem for everybody i think it's even a larger problem if you're a woman of color because you've got a lot of different power dynamics going mm -hmm. into um, climbing with other people that especially climbing with males white males so um, I don't know if you want to add to that yeah for me it's definitely a mix um, so for work I mostly so the organization mostly serves um, white women and so I, I climb a lot with white women all of my co-instructors are white women um, and then in my personal time, I have like a couple of friends who I feel like pretty safe and secure going with um, who are dudes. And um, normally, though, like I default to climbing with these ladies. Like mm -hmm. um, to me, that's just like 
my safe space. Like if I want to go climb something hard, then I'm going to go climb with them because I know that I'll be supported and just like, it's a different feel for me for sure. Like, um, it's a different mental game for me when I'm like with, with my crew than when like I'm with people who I'm like, Oh yeah. Like you just, you want to belay, like I'll, I'll go belay. You don't really feel right. that stoked to go climb something hard right now. Um, <clears throat> but I think, Definitely for me, you know, like it's it's a lot about having those conversations before I get to the crag around um, like, you know, one big one big thing for me is like people climbers use the word beaner a lot um, and it's a really derogatory word towards Mexican people. Right, right. And so I I am the person who has the conversations with my co-instructors. I'm like when we're teaching our students can we're not we're, like we're not going to use the word beaner like we're going to use the word carabiner mm -hmm. um, and then having that dialogue around like why. And um, even with my personal climbing partners, I'm just like, we're not going to use it. And if it's someone who can't understand that, then I'm like, cool, like we aren't going to climb together because if you can't respect a simple request, like, are you really going to have my back if something happens at the crag, which things have happened at the crag for me. And I want to feel like I have people there who are going to support me. Yeah, that's honestly something I've never even, it's never even occurred to me. Um, so I'm really, I'm really glad you said that. Yeah, it's, it's pissed off a lot of climbers. Well, and it's funny because like when I, I think when I was first learning to trad, um, I was with a friend, you know, his friend POC, but he, he used the word beaner and I was like, I was still getting used to the climbing community. I've been called a beaner a lot in my life <laughs> and like it totally took me by surprise. Mm -hmm. And then I, it took me a while to figure out what he was talking about. Right. Um, but that was really hella distracting. And like she brought that up in an article that she wrote, Monserrat did, and I was like, oh, yes, like actually, like it is. I mean, it's for for us, it is a really derogatory term and it's a really simple change in language that can do a lot sure. to like help refocus a climber. Like if you if you leave it out of your language, then I can, yeah, yeah I don't have to think about like, oh, okay. Did, did this person <laughs> like, just call me a beaner? Is it, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, they didn't, you know. Yeah, they didn't. They're, they're using it for their own purpose and I get that. But like, you know, it takes some practice to like change your language and mm -hmm. no one expects you to like know all these things right away. But like, you know, we're telling you now. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know just practice it it takes it takes a while but it's not that much extra work um yeah and, and i, I just, think can i ahead. just add one more yeah, thing yeah, do. is that for anyone who's listening to this and is like well i don't say it in that context <clears throat> it doesn't matter right. um people who grew up listening to that word and Still being it's it's triggering it's hard um like there are certain words that like i hear and i'm just like i'm taken back to like being an eight-year-old little brown girl in the south and like being like called names and being told like I don't belong there and being told to go back to my country and it's like if people could just humanize those experiences then I think yeah. that they would understand that a little bit better and not make it about their ego and their experiences um, because <clears throat> people were really pissed about this article a lot of climbers were just so insulted that I was insinuating <laughs> that they were being racist and I was like you're not being racist if you aren't doing this intentionally we're just asking you to change your word usage and if you continue to use it regardless of that history and regardless of that understanding then <laughs> yeah and you know frankly as a as a coach as someone whose job it is to help people improve their climbing using a word that makes your partner uncomfortable no matter what it is is going to impact their performance yep you know period definitely and, I appreciate you saying that because like a lot of people don't 
think about it like that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's our job as a partner is to help your partner do the best that they can do and to be comfortable up there. And if you're using words that they find offensive or make them uncomfortable, then you're just not being a good partner, period. I mean, it doesn't matter what your intention is. Yeah. And I think I just want to like challenge people to, to think about these, but also really step inside yourself and see, okay, like, you know, who's your family, who's your friends? Like if you were climbing with someone and, and they they use language that was offensive to some, someone in your family or, or yourself, like whether you have like a mental or physical disability, or if you have, uh, if you come from a certain background or if you have certain preferences, um, you'd probably want to say something and speak up and say, Oh, okay. Like this is actually what you're saying. Doesn't really help me. It doesn't encourage me. So, um, can we, can we talk about it? Can we unpack it a little bit more? So like what we're asking it is what I would expect anybody, any partner to, to bring up to me also, you know? Yeah. We talk a lot about on, on the podcast, we talk a lot about having conversations with your belayer, with your partner, Mm. um, before you try something hard, before you get on the wall. Um, my wife and I have battled with this over the years because when she climbs, she can read every little bit of anxiety in my voice when I'm belaying, and that doesn't help her at all. Mm-hmm. So I've had to completely change the way that I coach, so to speak, and, I, and I'm just using coach as encourage her while she's climbing um, to help her out. And, and I encourage every partner to do that. So using words that are derogatory isn't helping anybody, whether you find them derogatory or not. Yeah, I typically ask myself, like, okay, does do the words and the language I'm using, does it encourage, discourage, or distract? And, mm. you know, if it's distract and discourage, like, why, why am I using them? As it's, We're psyched to be here. We're a positive group. Like, I, I love the climbing community because we are positive. But um, if we get on this defensive mode, we get, uh, you know, our, our feelings hurt. We, we really have to look past that and, and think about, like, how can we make this community the best community? it could be and there's so much potential there already like the tools are already with us um it's just applying it to our relationships with other people um Mm -hmm. not only that we're around and we choose to be around but also people that we come into contact with in the non-climbing world and uh and yeah in new spaces so yeah and you know i think i you and i talked at the bar the other night um well basically yelled at each other over the music at the (laughs) bar the other night and um and I said something that I'm not sure I communicated very well. I'm not sure I'm going to communicate it very well right now. But when, when all of these conversations first started, um, and there are some voices out there who make really great points, and they make them loudly, and that can, can put a lot of people off, um, which is fine. I think we, we should be made uncomfortable about some of these things. Um, but my first reaction was to defend climbing. I mean, that's that's how I felt in my reaction, um, as if climbing is some community that's up above every other community, you know, because it just happens to be the one I'm involved in. Um, but in reality, we want it to be that great community. So these are conversations that are really, really important, you know, and and I think we have to look past the the initial gut reaction of trying to defend this thing that we're a part of and really just work to try to make it a better community. 
Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's not impenetrable to like the rest of the ills of society. Like we have yeah. a huge organization of, of people and, and that's just what's going to come out of it. Oh, sorry. That's right. Sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. Good. Um, stop talking. Jeez. Yeah. That's it, it. This is just reality. You know, I, I, I hope people can get past that, that anxiety that they feel about this, this ownership of, of, of pride and that there's, there's no faults in the climbing community. There yeah. is. And like, it is our responsibility as climbers because that's what we do on the crag is like call you out if you don't know something or if you are saying you do and then I see you, you know, doing some shady stuff, <laughs> like I'm going to call you out because I don't want to put myself at risk and I don't want to put other people at risk. So that's what we're doing right now. It's it's really no difference and, and we want to continue to improve this space for other people as they, as they enter it too. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, um, I think that because the climbing community has been so white male dominated um, for years, as as it's opening up to include other folks, there, I think there is an expectation or an assumption that um, the, um, the community is going to remain exactly the same and everyone that joins the community or that starts to be seen within the community are going to be exactly like all of the white they males. They should just assimilate. <laughs> exactly. And, like, yeah. and, and that's, that's really unfair. And it's, all, it's also coming from a place of um, high privilege. Um, and I, I think that as people who are striving to be good people and who are also striving to be um, accepting of others, it's I think it's really important for folks to realize that that single like white male identity is not the only one that exists in this space. And yeah. it's important to embrace or at least to recognize and, and, um, and understand that, that other identities, uh, don't, don't feel exactly the same way. Yeah. And the other identities aren't exactly endangering you either i think that's an important thing to remember and i think a lot of people take climbing. that stance right yeah. right we've I mean, always done it this way i think what's cool i mean this is a great example it's like the climbing festival that we had color the crag was like organized by people who who haven't been organizing climbing festivals for years or generations depending mm -hmm. on your family i guess um and and what we saw were like all these great ideas like we ship we sorry we had like a shuttle bus come from Atlanta to HP 40. We were able to make it affordable, super accessible and low impact. Um, that's just like one of the, the many examples of like what made that festival great. Um, you should come if you want to check it out, but, but yeah, we'll put some info in the yeah, show for notes. sure. But, but part of that is because you have this diversity and like so much more beyond like uh, color. It's like cognitive diversity. We have different backgrounds. Maybe we're engineers, maybe we're artists, maybe um, we're teachers or educators. Maybe we come from the South or the North or wherever we have these different, uh, family, cultural experiences. And so we bring those that all of that knowledge into the space and into the into the area of the climbing community that we want to invest in or contribute to. And I'm really excited about that because I think, you know, we see the outdoor industry growing um, every day. And I am very curious to see what what types of products come out of it, how we explore the world differently, simply be, because there's there's more people that are coming into this space um so i don't 
think that that story, that kind of narrative or that perspective gets shared enough. But we are climbers, we're explorers. We we want to do things different. We want to find a different route than what was um, climbed before. And I think the more uh, people, or excuse me, the more people that we have from different experiences, like the richer that can can be and like I'm just really excited about that so totally totally um I wanted to speak a little bit of going back to what you talked about like right like people's like initial kind of like that gut reaction yeah um so I I facilitate DEI conversations in Mm -hmm. different spaces um and one of our community like talking norms when we're going into these conversations is like sitting with our discomfort right and recognizing like why am I uncomfortable right now is it because a, I've contributed to this. B, like I've experienced this. C, a little bit of both. Or D, like this is just shocking me right now. Um, and there's, and obviously, like it can be such an other array of emotions. And um, there is this term that was coined by, hold on, I'm gonna, I always butcher her name because Robin D'Angelo. Um, and she has a book that's called Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. Mm. Um, and she coined this term called white fragility. And I think that fragility can be used across the board when having various conversations, not just about race. Um, and fragility comes from the state of an array of emotions, whether it is that you are shocked or you're defensive or you're upset, you, um, you just are like shocked. Your whole body is just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening, right? It's like this fragile state where like your world is shattered. To have people in the climbing community share stories of sexism, racism, homophobia, transphobia, it's like it's shocking to you because you're like, this is my community. Like, I am part of this. Like, right. and then you have to take you, you in a way have to start questioning yourself, like, have I contributed to this? Yeah, absolutely. And, and then it's, it's shocking and it's just like it shatters your world. And I think going back to the term fragility, right? Like, you have this moment where you're like, you become so fragile in that state that you either become really defensive or you become like really anxious, you become really upset and being able to recognize when you're in that state and the ways that you act from that state, right? And how, if you are like, are you are you calling people like names? Are you calling women bitches or like, because they're talking about sexism and telling them to stop complaining about everything. Um, Are you telling men to take off their purse when they are climbing because they are afraid to get to the next bolt? Yeah, it's just like things like that. Like, what what are you doing when you're in that state and really sitting with that and exploring it? Um, I think that book is really great. And she does a lot of talks um, around the country. And she really coaches people on how uh, well, she focuses with on the white community on how you have conversations around racism. And but I, I do think that the term fragility can be used across the board where we're having so many other conversations um, because it's a state of just like having your whole world shattered in a way because mm-hmm. you just had never really heard it before. Um, and, you know, I experienced it a lot working in the outdoors. Um, not just in climbing, but like in the outdoors in general, when I'm talking about things that have happened to me or the kids that I work with and people are just like, that's not true. Like, right. I can't believe that's happened. <clears throat> and I'm like, it, it has. Like, who are you to tell me that this has not been my experience? But I'm a woman and it's never happened to me. Exactly. Right. I actually got a lot of that response um, from my conversation on the podcast with Shelma. Um 
nearly all of the negative feedback I got were from other women saying, this isn't true, this doesn't happen, this isn't a thing. And it really made me realize that that there is this division, you know, that I I wasn't even aware of. And, and Montserrat, I think you're right that I definitely questioned myself in those ways. Like, did I, am I contributing to this somehow? And I've looked back at a lot of the music that I put out years ago, and there are a lot of words in that music that I would never use now, you know, that I'm growing. And I think that's, I think that's another important piece of this, that we have to realize that there may have been things in our past that we, that we did, things that we thought, beliefs that we had, that don't hold up to our standards now. And that's okay. It's okay to grow. I think that's what we we're, do we're as humans, people. We yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll pop in and say, like, you know, I'm a person of color. I'm biracial, um, half Mexican, half white. I grew up in a, a lower income area and definitely had my slew of terms uh, thrown at me. But I also grew up in the South and I learned a lot of phrases, um, a lot of like dichos, a lot of sayings, Southern sayings. And I was confronted uh, a few years ago because one of these terms, like one of these sayings that I used was offensive towards another, uh, towards a a black woman that was a friend of mine and she brought it up to me. And it was, it was really hard for me to to take because I was like, oh man, like what? Like we just grew up, you know, I, I heard all sorts of people use this term or use this phrase. Um, And so it's hard to receive criticism, but that was probably the most like, transformative moment for me to understand like how I can just like these simple simple changes in the way that I talk and the way that I interact people can can stop discouraging people and start like promoting growth for them or being able to interrupting the norm yeah exactly and now I can go back and be like hey actually like you may have not known this like phrase was hurtful but it is and like let's talk about it together let's try to find something else that we can use so I mean this is not I mean there is a lot of burden on the white community to change there's a lot of work to be done to like educate and learn and grow Um, but this is something that we're doing all the time um, because we don't have we have our identities but we don't necessarily always um, understand or relate to other people so we have to learn to to be sensitive to those and try to um, figure out ways to to really be an ally to other people too. Now I was just going to say um, I feel like I'm constantly learning um, the ways that ableism has like has um, shaped our like our view of the world and and breaking down my beliefs about the norms in that space as well. So I I feel like definitely in a lot of things that we do, I mean, we're, we're all constantly being challenged to realize that we are not always the norm, that there are others that exist in this space and that have the right to be in this space and that we should recognize and, and respect. Yeah, I think unfortunately, like race and color gets so, like there's so much tension around it that people get, man, it's it's a sore spot and it's, it's really frustrating that we don't look at this as an opportunity for us to grow as people. Yeah. Uh, but it can be a really scary conversation. And once that I, I just want to go back to what um, you had mentioned about um, 
the feedback that you got from a lot of women being mm -hmm. like, this is in my experience um, and the things that we've heard um, and just say like, like our, our, our identity groups are not homogenous. Like we all don't have shared, like the same experience, right? Like we right, have exactly. some sort of shared experiences and it doesn't mean that my experience is everybody, everybody else's experience that as a woman of color, like every single woman of color has had my own experience. Um, and I think that, it's really disheartening when you see people from your own communities being like, well, that's not my experience and she's lying. And it's like, right. why? Like, why not allow those folks to have those experiences? If that's not yours, then great. That's awesome. I applaud you. I'm happy for you. I'm so glad that you've had a supportive community. But that's not the case for all of us. And even when we have conversations in our own communities, like Bethany and Sage were talking about, it's not just like, oh, we're people of color, so we're perfect. It, no. Like, there is so many things that we're figuring out. Um, like, when we talk, like, all these intersections of our identities. Um, even, like, I work a lot in, like, women-only spaces. And I'm constantly having conversations around transphobia because, like, some people are like, no, like, trans women shouldn't be in these spaces. And it's like, what? No. <laughs> and, and it's, like, it's, it's baffling to me how people can advocate for spaces for themselves and not see the importance for other people to have those spaces. And it just kind of goes back to, I just want to remind people, like, we're not homogenous. We don't all have the same experiences. When you hear one of us speak, we don't speak for our entire community. Right. Like, it is it is our experiences, and we're advocating for certain things to happen. And that doesn't mean that every single brown woman you're going to meet from now on is going to experience racism, sexism, and, and these intersections in their climbing. Like, a lot of us do. And I know that there's one out there that's like wow like i've had a great experience my community has always been diverse and i'm like that sounds dreamy like take me there <laughs> <laughs> well not everybody's gonna be able or willing to talk about that too, that too which is yeah. like you know just just respecting that there's different perspectives and experiences out there and i think if, if you don't understand what the, that means like i think you, you can probably understand your experience as a, a, a single non-parent to like a married parent um, or other people out there and listening to that podcast, like those, how your own identity can change throughout your lifespan and, and what that, what those changes look like and how those changes may influence like who you are around. Cause you know, maybe you don't want to be around a bunch of single guys that only want to talk about the crag. If you've been up for, you know, 13 hours taking care of a newborn, like, right. <laughs> you know, like you probably want to be around some other dads or some other moms that that understand that you know like that's a really easy example that i think a, a lot of people all over can kind of understand hopefully yeah absolutely i think i mean i think it goes that we have a lot of those dividing lines in the community and and dividing lines is the wrong word but um just these little groups that congregate together and we we tend to congregate with people who have the same um goals the same priorities um, things like that. And I think that's a, a really important thing to recognize that that goes across all, all lines, you know, there's definitely um, natural groups yeah. that we go into yeah. all the time. But as soon as it incorporates these like social identities, that's when people are like, Oh my God, like yeah. what? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll completely admit, and I think you'll be able to hear it in my voice in the beginning of this conversation that, I know it's a, a touchy subject and it's tough to talk about and I'm nervous coming into this conversation. You know, I'm, I'm not 
nervous now. Now it feels like a really nice, interesting conversation. Smack and cheese and racism. Smack and cheese, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This should be the title of this podcast. (laughs) Mac and cheese and racism. (laughs) But I'm I'm really glad that you said, you know, that you you make mistakes. You all make mistakes. You're not. You know, I think that's an important, yeah, it's an important thing to keep in mind, whether you're that person who like hashtag woke as fuck on every Instagram post that you put on there, you're still going to make mistakes, you know, periods. And don't take that as someone attacking you if they tell you that you've made a mistake. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's a, that's a big mistake that we all often make is we automatically become defensive. Yeah, I think even within our own community, like the Brown Girls Climb community, for instance, I mean, I'm a black woman and uh, Montserrat is uh, Latina and, and, and so is uh, um, Bethany. And I feel like because we have such diverse experiences and, and div- like different cultures, I feel like we are constantly learning from each other. We're learning um how like racism shows up but, um, from like being black versus being um, uh, Latinx and, and, and also how we can make mistakes within our community. And I think that's really beautiful to, to be humble enough to like listen and understand. Um, there is a, I, have, I have a chalk bag that is very like Mexican colored chalk bag and it, and it feels very like appropriation-y. Um, right, and right. so having that conversation with Montserrat um, was really, um, powerful just I mean having the conversation about what it looks like and also um, respecting what it is and 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 understanding I mean there's just a, a beauty in being humble enough to have conversations about differences between um, between folks and just like even it's like it just those conversations just continue and trickle down like even within the Latinx community, like I have, I struggle really hard with identifying as Latina and sometimes I don't identify as Latina because my family is mixed race in the context of the country of Mexico. So like in the Latinx community, like you have folks who are black, you have folks who are indigenous, you have folks who are white and you have folks who are mestizos and a mixture of everything else. So even within the Latinx community, like the existence of like anti-blackness and anti-indigenism is like a thing. And it's hard like to be in like a Latinx community that is like so focused on like, oh, like these things that don't really uplift the beauty of Latin America and also the hard history. Like it was actually Seisha who was giving me a little bit of the rundown of numbers um, of like how many African slaves were in South America, like in Brazil and then between Mexico and the Caribbean, like the U S was it, do you remember, was it, remember, was it Brazil, Brazil the United Brazil, States? Brazil. Yeah. Brazil, and, Brazil um, accepted a whole lot more uh, Africans than the United States and I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize so mm. there are a lot of black Latinx folks um, a lot probably a lot more black Latinx folks than there are like black Americans today mm. and it's just like a it's a thing is like how do we have those conversations in our own communities like that's just something that I constantly start going also with like my family like my, on my mom's side like being indigenous and like having those practices and um like people being like yeah like it's just like it's it's hard for me sometimes like to not be able to talk about 
my own history in the context of being Latina, where it's like Latino is being like mestizo being, and you know, even like the skin privileges that we have within the Latinx community, um, where a lot of people who are white presenting and white passing, um, because we have that history of like mixture in our, in our communities and in our countries throughout Latin America. Um, and it's hard to like continue to have these conversations, but we have them because they need to happen. Sure. Seisha, I was going to ask you before you even brought it up, are there times at the crag where because you're, I mean, you have darker skin than all of us here, is there, are there times at the crag where that's an obvious um, uh, point of contention isn't the right word? It, it's just an obvious it's point It's the first thing people up. see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'll say... Um, I think especially if I'm if I'm at a crag with a group of white people and and people realize that I'm not scary, um, that I actually <laughs> laugh a lot. Um, I, <laughs> Just for um, the record, you're not scary at all. <laughs> She's got some of the best energy I've ever like experienced. So beautiful thank you. smile. Yeah. But I think. Um, once people realize that they can actually have a conversation with me, then the oftentimes the first thing they ask me about is um, something that they assume all black people should know or or right. or is something that that like that we identify with or just whatever and and um, and that lets me know that the very first thing they saw was my skin color and they just needed to like feel comfortable enough to address it. Um, this didn't happen at the crag, thank God, but, um, it, it just reminds me of, um, once in Boulder, <laughs> yay, Mont- <laughs> no. uh, once in Boulder, this guy, um, the, the, he came up to me and the first thing he asked me was, um, so what are black people, like who are black people voting for these days? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I didn't really know how to respond because, um, because I mean, I don't know. I mean, I would hope. I don't know. I do like (laughs) technology. (laughs) I was, I was slightly shocked, but I, I, I basically said, um, you know, I'm not sure I haven't picked up my black phone in a while. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially trying to, without saying, whoa, dude, like black people are not all the same and we're not all like voting for the exact same person. Trying to, in a friendly way that didn't make me seem really scary, um, let him know, just try to call him in about the ignorance of assuming that we are all one identity and that we are all one mind. Um, And I I do think that that happens quite a bit. I I feel like people... Um, if there's music playing and there's country playing, then people play rap when they see me, which I mean, I love rap. So sure. I mean, I, I will get down, but just the, um, people instantly see me for my skin color and they are either avoidant because they're not sure if I'm going to snap on them, angry black woman, uh, stereotype, or if, um, or, or when they do realize that I'm okay with having conversation then the first thing they do is is try to identify in some way change their language use black slang and it's right 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 it's uh it it can be interesting yeah i've i've gone through those phases myself actually i mean i grew up um in a hip-hop community in cincinnati uh, or really found myself in this hip-hop community in cincinnati and i Mm -hmm. definitely early on tried to talk differently dress differently um, and eventually became 
my own person that didn't feel like I had to talk differently and act differently or dress differently uh, or have a rap voice, you know, when I was on stage. Um, so do you have, do you have any pictures of this? I guess. <laughs> oh yeah. There, there are photos. All right. Well, you there know. are photos. <laughs> there are words for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are. Yes, there are. And actually one of my favorite rappers, uh, open Mike Eagle, who's a really, really intelligent man has a great line that's made me think probably more than any other rap line in history about exactly what you were just talking about. He says, uh, fuck you if you're a white man who thinks I speak for all black folks. Fuck you if you're a white man who thinks I can't speak for black folks. And that's made me think a lot about how I interact with other people, you know, who, who I think might have some insight into this greater world that they identify with. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not necessarily true. And in some ways it, it is true. Yeah. So really powerful. Yeah. Are you guys going climbing today? No, we are actually, well, maybe later, but we are actually, like, wait, wait, wait maybe, oh, wait, we're going to go to sinks. Maybe. Yeah, I don't like, know. Oh, come on. Man. But we have to go to the keynote speech. Anyways, yeah. um, we are actually hosting a climbers of color brunch, um, in an hour. Um, okay. so we are just trying to like rally the troops because we see so many climbers of color here this year. Um, we Which just is wanted very different from last year. Yeah. We just wanted to create some space for folks to get together and just like, hang out because you know we don't see each other that often yeah. <laughs> yeah it's really nice and it's like an excuse to eat well western shadows and oh my god yeah. yeah i brought some homemade tortillas and some salsa yeah it's really good you could just drop whatever's left off at my, <laughs> we at my have some tamales too. Great. yeah we got some tamales <laughs> from bethany's mom from texas oh, yeah man. yeah we had that at color the crag so i mean i'm just saying like <laughs> It was a nice uh, Just say we got the best food. Yeah. <laughs> these street tacos that they were selling out there. <laughs> well, after your brunch, if you guys want to come to the gym and climb together, all of you bring whoever, you're totally cool. welcome to use it. Just Thank you. let me know and I'll open it up for you. Yeah. Um before we wrap up here, I know you guys have some things going on. Um but I really want to know a little more about uh something that you said in your email to me, Bethany. I found really interesting and really smart and thank you I, not that that <laughs> no, I don't want that to sound like I was surprised <laughs> that wasn't it at all but <laughs> mac and cheese mac mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> see we have a good time we have a good time people think this is scary it's good <laughs> but you said brown girls climb currently isn't like reaching out to underserved communities. Instead, you're trying to to put people in positions of leadership. Um, and I just want to know a little more about that approach before we wrap up here. Yeah, well, one, it's like, it's, it is addressing the narrative that, uh, that all brown and black people are, you know, in need of a scholarship and a handout. Like, that is, is not true. Um, and that need does exist and there is a definitely um a lot of statistics out there showing there's a disproportionate um disproportionate issues on health wealth and everything else in in those communities and that's something that i'm personally very passionate about and i think a lot of people in the climbing community of color are are passionate about Absolutely. but um 
But in terms of what we're doing right now is like there is not a lot of people of color in leadership that know that have done a ton of big wall stuff that are getting elevated, like I said at the beginning. But there are people out there like Emily Taylor, like Chelsea Griffey, uh, like Miho Ida that have been here for a while. And so, um, you know, the fact that that their voices haven't been elevated and the other people that I'm I'm meeting through Brown Girls Climb and through Color the Crag, um, that there hasn't been enough spaces to to show the rest of the climbing community like, hey, you can learn from this guy, too, or you can go support this woman and her business, too. Um, That's what we really want to want to address because we have the community we have uh we we know a lot of the climbers out there so um trying to just either create events that we can um have a space for them to tell their story or create uh festivals or climbing opportunities for them to share their skills to me i get a lot of satisfaction out out of that because i want to learn from those people they understand not only what i what I need to work on as a climber, but they may have some additional skills on how to cope with the rest of the world and the rest of the day that's happening. I mean, if you turn on the news, you can see a variety of different, you know, events that are affecting our community. And it, it's really great to learn from people that look like you or understand you. And that's, I mean, that's supported by research too. So, um, yeah, so that's that's really what we're doing. I, I think the biggest way we can can reach portions of our community that are uh, that are at risk is like by building leaders. You know, the fact that I can be in a position to to be on your podcast and and talk about this um, is is awesome, and it allows me to go back home to my neighborhood and and share these skills, share these resources, take people out climbing. Not because I think climbing is like the panacea for everything, but because I'm able to just share another tool. Um, I think to me, that's like a big deal. Like I'm going to share all the tools I can, and I hope that you can, um, find a way that you can not get beat down by the world. So, um, I think putting people in leadership positions is a a big part of, of kind of mobilizing the entire community, no matter what. Yeah. Um, so I think that oftentimes when people think of, uh, people of color in, places where they don't where they aren't normally highlighted um, they think they're coming from a deficit mindset um, and there's like this saviorism complex that is introduced and I think that we see a lot of that um, in in the climbing community it's like let's go to the inner city and and uh, grab these kids of color and, and throw them into this situation and and I I'm not saying that that's a bad thing because I definitely think that um, a lot of communities of color have not experienced um, things like climbing. And so I I think that's wonderful. And I think that there are a lot of organizations that are doing that. Um, What I find so wonderful about Brown Girls Climb and what Bethany started is that there aren't a lot of people that are saying, let's create leaders of color to go back into those communities and to, to take those skills back into their communities. And so that's the beauty of Brown Girls Climb. Instead of like, a lot of white folks deciding that they want to be mentors to kids of color. Um, We're instead um, increasing the leadership within our community so that we can then introduce it. I mean, um, become fathers and mothers and introduce it um, to our kids so that um, I also think that, 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 that mindset, that deficit mindset is 
one of the reasons why if I walk into a climbing gym, there's an assumption that I don't know anything about climbing. Sure. Because there's this stereotype about about people of color that is continuing to be perpetuated by that deficit mindset that um, that that we all that we all perpetuate. I, I feel like um, it's not just the climbing community. It's a it's a lot of um, organizations a, a, across <laughs> across different communities that continue to perpetuate this idea that um, that we need to bring people in and 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 uh, and see them from like a deficit perspective and teach them what we know. And I think that Brown Girls Climb is really changing that perception. Um, yeah, and I just want to add that like those things aren't mutually exclusive, right? Like we have been putting like, you know, we work with partner organizations to put on different things. So um, we do intro to climbing classes that are free mm -hmm. um, and we help women with getting access to gear, getting access to outdoor spaces. Um, last year, we put together a mini Brown Girls Climb Day um, in Clear Creek County and had 10 girls of color under the age of 18 come climb. Wow. And it was for me, like, that's when I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, it was a really powerful experience to have 10 girls of color be led by three women of color in the outdoors. Um, they learned the basics of top roping. They We talked a lot about communication and trust and building relationships with your belayers. And we did a lot of self-talk. Um, there was a young girl. Um, she was seven years old. And um, her parents didn't really want to let her come. It was uh, ex-coworker's uh, niece, and um, she really wanted to come. And so my coworker convinced the parents, and they brought her. And, um, you know, the girl was like, oh, like, my, my parents told me that I, like, can't, I shouldn't try that hard. Like I, like I can do this, but like, I shouldn't do anything more than this. And I was like, well, like, why, why are you, why are you thinking those things? You know? And like, I tied her in, it was a super easy, um, like super accessible and I used a super accessible climb for her. And, um, you know, just kind of coached her through it. And she kept like, she was crying and she was like, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then I asked the belayer to just hold her. And, and I kind of went up next to her and I was like talking to her and being like, you know, why are like, where are these words coming from? Like what yeah. is happening? And just like talking through and like, you know, just hearing a lot of like where that self-talk was coming from both like societal and like things that she's internalized and things that her parents were saying um and just kind of coached her and she made it to the top of the climb came back down and she like didn't even unrobe she just like ran over to me and started crying and was like holding me and she's like i really liked that when i said i couldn't you told me that i could she's like people don't tell me that yeah and i was like yeah <laughs> like how many, how many like girls of color do I know? Like being a girl of color, being told like you can't do something. Um, You're gonna make me cry on my sorry. own podcast. <laughs> Damn it! Yeah, it's just like you really begin to believe these things, <clears throat> and to have women who look like you teach you, it's just so powerful. Um, and you know, we did that. And we're also collaborating um, with Women's Wilderness um, to have a program called Trailblazers. And we um, are opening uh, intro to like the outdoors program for women of color. So black indigenous women of color can apply for this program. Um, 
I'll be the lead instructor and it's going to be the first time I'll be leading like an all women of color crew in the outdoors. And it just like to think that we have our own community members teaching us and collaborating with other organizations and using those resources and using those venues and those spaces. It's so powerful and it really is a statement to what it looks like when community works together in the outdoors to create accessibility, to create spaces, and to be intentional about the work that we're doing. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> <sighs> and Chris, this, is, this, isn't like, this isn't anything new in the sense that like, you know, climbing's dealing with this now, but STEM has dealt with this for a long time. Right. And, you know, right there's a lot of templates out there and a lot of ways we can address this. And, and there's a lot of research on it, uh, both on like what does make uh, someone continue on going into a degree in engineering if they're a person of color, like the, the risk of, of dropping out because of the pressures that they may have at home or because of uh, financial issues or, or, you know, systemic problems within that, that academic culture. Um, there, there's so many issues that ca can pop up throughout that whole process of getting a degree. It's the same here too. Like yeah. if we can encourage um, people along their climbing career, they're more likely to continue to do it. Um, and I think we forget about that. We get so excited about being offended and like, you know, having to recognize our own part in that process. But um, yeah, I was really surprised by a lot of the, statistics that you sent me and I'll be linking to a lot of those in the show notes for everybody listening. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's really what drives me like for, you know, I'm first in my family to, to graduate. Um, and especially with like a STEM degree, it's, it's, it's awesome. Maylise Edwards, shout out to her. She's a great lady in STEM and climbing. But um, if you're in research, if you're in an in academia, as a person of color, as a woman of color, you are faced with so many statistics, like you learn the statistics. I was <laughs> introduced to them very early, you know, when I realized that I, my likelihood to, to go to college was really, really slim, you know, looking around your neighborhood or hearing, oh yeah, you're supposed to know how to do this. So you're going and, and seeing how many statistics are against you. Um, and, and very little research on like, what are the factors that are, are causing These, those statistics well m more than that like what, what are the barriers that can be alleviated yeah and like what are the factors that we hold within our cultures that actually make us resilient and actually like mm. make us awesome like yeah. there's not a lot of positive research on, on communities yeah, of color good, good point. um and so so i'm carrying that with me every day at the crag like i want to do more and i want to see more from my community because those statistics are bullshit and i i think we have the capacity. I mean, we've, we've I mean, climbed. Even like us three <laughs> yeah. hear our statement, like to, like we are all college educated. We're all first generation college graduates for our families. Yeah. We all like have defined a lot of statistics and like specific to our communities across the board. Yeah. And most likely figured it out on our own because our parents were not college graduates mm -hmm. and they had no clue how to, tell us what to do fill out applications right. which majors didn't to speak choose. the language my family's first generation immigrants my mom doesn't speak fluent full english i was primary caregiver for my brother do a, took care of my mom a lot 
like we have all overcome yeah couldn't afford to pay for tuition or buy first car i mean just a lot of a, a lot of things that that um, were barriers, and I, I appreciate what you said, Bethany. Um, there aren't a lot of um, statistics, or a lot of um, there isn't a lot of information that talks about um, the things within us that have helped us to mm-hmm. excel. Yeah, I mean this this is about climbing, but it is about so, so much, much more. more. <laughs> totally, totally. So it, it is a space that we're we're very exact excited and and grateful to be in because i think we've all been able to like see ourselves and and claim ownership of our own bodies and our own beings in this space um so as as many critiques we have like i am very proud to be part of the climbing community because i i feel probably in the first time in my life over the past few years as a 30 year old woman that i that i feel strength within my own body you Mm -hmm. know um and that's that has taken me a long time to, to 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 come to terms with, you know, and I want other women to feel that that same um, presence yeah. in their physical body because it, it many people have that taken away from them. Yeah. Um, I like yeah. that's one thing I've also talked a lot about, um, you know, being a survivor of like many things, but like um, you know, just different stuff that we talked about a lot, like sexual assault. And just like how much climbing can really help you heal um, and how climbing is just a tool to just like, I think saying like to feel in your body, to stand in your power, to just climb and be like, my body is capable of doing this. And if it's capable of doing this, it's capable of so much more and it's capable of healing and it's capable of getting right back up like after you fall both literally and figuratively and I use that a lot with the women that I work with and the young girls that I work with um because I truly believe that climbing is a tool for healing like I really do like it in deep in my core like that is why I'm so committed to the climbing community and you know I like Bethany was talking about like so many of these things are 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 much bigger than climbing and it's beautiful to just have the spaces to be able to connect them together um working with a, a project with North Face, um, they um, are going to be releasing a video um, of, uh, of of my poetry um, in, in an animation mode. And it, it's just talking about my, my story and my family. Um, and when they sent me this video, I started crying in my office because it was just like I could not believe that a climbing company, climbing community had fully embraced and captured everything that I was trying to say. And I think the image that really stood out to me is that um, they created an animation of my family um, and the women in my family have never been together. My, my mom migrated here um, like a long time ago like 28 29 years ago um and she has not seen her mom since I was three years old and um you know my family is really active in the outdoors in Mexico and it's just like I don't know it's just like being able to tell my story and the point I was getting at is that they created this animation of my grandma my mom my aunties and my cousins and myself in this image and, you know, 
it's just like it's 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 like a beautiful powerful statement because i don't actually know if that's ever going to happen um but it was just it took me aback that a climbing company could really understand how powerful and how special that was for me um and you know they they've been super supportive along with this project so i'm I'm really excited to share it with you once it's released um but it's just like coming back to we can have these conversations simultaneously like these conversations are greater than climbing they're also based in climbing and they're not exclusive to each other and to be able to have the spaces to talk and share those things it's really beautiful yeah, and, and just like to add on to that, like we we work with Access Fund, we work with American Alpine Club, we work with American Mountain Guides Association. Like this isn't like just a conversation we're having off on our own. This is a conversation that that uh, leaders within the community, leaders within the climbing community, have stepped up stepped up and asked to be engaged with. So, you know, I hope that um, that people recognize that that this is this is something that where we are moving this way. And it is for the greater good. So, yeah. Well, I hugely appreciate all three of you blessing me with sitting down and talking. Um, there's so much powerful here that I think everyone can get out of this. And I'm really glad, Montserrat, that you just shared that story because it makes me feel good about the direction things are going. I think. I mean, good job climbing community, but we've got a long way to go and we've got a lot of work to do. And, and I'm glad that work is being done and I'm glad that there are powerful humans like you three uh, doing it. So hopefully I can do my tiny little part. Um, so thanks a ton for sitting down with me. I'll have um, links where you can reach all three of these, these ladies uh, in the show notes and uh, that you can find Brown Girls Climb and um, if there are any meetups coming up in the near future I'll have links to those too so um, Bethany will you tell us where they can find you on the Instagram and Facebook and all of those places um, yeah uh, well first thanks for sharing your space I mean you reach a lot of listeners so we really appreciate just being invited um, to come sit on the grass with you um, which is like the I best place <laughs> on the grass or at the crag is like the best place to talk about uncomfortable yeah, things totally. um, but uh, you can follow us at brown girls climb on Instagram um, it's brown girls climb on Facebook we have um if you do identify as a, a woman of color, we do have um, groups on Facebook where we like meet up. Uh, and so you can find people that you can climb with. Um, and then browngirlsclimb.com is our website. We're working on it. That's a work in progress. Um, but typically our events will be on our Instagram. Um, the, the next event is in the Bay Area at REI in Berkeley. Um, we are doing a summer series uh, over July, August, and September, highlighting um, Chelsea Griffey uh, on July 31st is the first one, um, Emily Taylor in August, and Miho Ida in September. And uh, there's information on the Instagram for that. But it's a free event. You guys can invite your friends. Uh, we got swag. Yeah, should be really, really fun. They're going to kind of give some um, stories from their Yosemite days, um, but also talk about their work in advocacy and kind of uh, share a little bit more about the nonprofits that they're involved in. So. We'll also be at Outdoor Retailer Show um, in Denver if you want to reach out to us there. Yep. 
cool well hopefully i'll see all three of you there again so and i would love to sit down with you three and anyone else again i think there's a lot more to talk about and try to unpack so yeah we should go climbing yeah definitely (laughs) all right thank you sitting here talking just so I can put it on the social medias. I think I I got it. If you want to look at this one, I think that um, Diego, wait, Diego, did you not take a picture? What did I give you my phone for? He has his own. (laughs) 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 Do you? You do? Okay. Yeah. Could I, could I use one of those for my social media? Of course. That would be amazing. Dope, dope, dope. I don't think he heard you. You were trying to take selfies. You were. There's just a bunch of selfies of him on your phone. Yeah. Yes. Frolicking in the flowers. I know.